Welcome to the Friday Night Ohio podcast, powered by FridayNightOhio.com. I'm Cliff Hickman from the Canton Repository, and I'll be your host today. With me will be Repository Sports Editor Chris Bevan, and we are doing our first podcast of the year, and we will have more throughout the season. I mentioned him earlier. Right now, I'm going to bring him in. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, Cliff. How about yourself? I'm not doing too bad. It's nice to be over in the building with all the the COVID changes. We haven't been here too often, and it's it's weird being here when it's a ghost town. I can tell you that. Yeah, I was in there. Uh, it's been a it's been several weeks now, but yeah, you're right. We're uh, mostly working remotely for those who aren't familiar with that. And I'm sitting in my office at home, and hopefully, you won't hear my son in the background. But he's six, so probably at some point we will. But uh, ready to talk some football. Yes, and uh, we'll just consider that a special guest appearance. That'll that'll be an <laughs> Easter egg for all the listeners. Plus, we don't have to give him an appearance fee. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope he doesn't have an agent yet. Yeah, well, he doesn't. I didn't pay for one. <laughs> all right, and we'll start things off with the Federal League, Chris. And one of the biggest games of the week I'm looking at is Hoover at McKinley. There's all sorts of intrigue with this one. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great matchup this early in the season, and and I think that's been the one thing that has been at least enjoyable about uh, a season that you know has had so many uncertainties and a year that's had so much you know not great things happening. To uh, to at least uh, with this shortened schedule, you're getting some good matchups right off the bat. You know, you had some rivalry games last week, and uh, you know, right, right here in week two, you're getting a, a game that could decide the federal league championship. Really. I think Hoover and McKinley uh, each have really big expectations this year, and they each got off to great starts. Hoover routed Glen Oak 35 to seven last week, and McKinley uh, really dominated Jackson 30 to nothing in its opener. And now you've got those two meet in week two uh, Friday night at Benson Stadium. And you know, I think for Hoover, the, the first big thing is is the mental part of it. You know, McKinley's won 11 straight against the Vikings, so you know that means none of these current Vikings uh, were were really probably aware too much of high school football. Maybe just getting aware of it the last time that, that Hoover beat McKinley. So I'm sure there's a a mental uh, thing they have to get over, and you know that's something even Josh Weir wrote about uh, that's on Friday Night Ohio and in the repository. You know, Connor Ashby, the the star quarterback of the Vikings, talking about the players. You know, have to have to believe that they can uh, play with McKinley to 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 beat them. You, you can't go into the game not believing. Exactly, and I was over at uh, Hoover last week for their opener against Glen Oak, and one of the things that struck me after the game and uh, talking to head coach Brian Baum was that not only do you have that long streak against McKinley going, but you also have the expectations that, that come with the Hoover Vikings where he said last year he felt like they were really disappointed with their second week effort, and he wanted to make sure that didn't happen again. He said he wanted to make sure the guys didn't feel like they had arrived yet after a really impressive showing against Glen Oak last week where they forced three early turnovers and took a 28-0 lead going into half. The, uh, you know, I mentioned Connor Ashby, and, and that's the, the, the obviously the strength of this Vikings team is the quarterback play and then around him some talented uh, receivers. And, uh, you know, you saw that last week uh, where he uh, – Threw a couple of touchdowns to Brock Henney, and a, a great stat that I saw Josh uh, Weir dig up 
for some of our preview material this week. Kenny's got 12 touchdowns in his last nine games. That's uh, just remarkable production for a high school receiver. And, and you saw firsthand what a, what a great combination those two are, Cliff. They have great chemistry, and the first two touchdowns, Hoover had a short field inside the Glen Oak 10-yard line, but they were both perfectly thrown fade routes where the only person that was going to catch the pass was Henny. Of course, there was just torrential rainfall all night. Uh, Henny probably could have caught another touchdown, but it was during a downpour, and I think the the wet football got to him a little bit, but he's certainly someone to watch. It's a big body that somehow is always behind the secondary, and he knows how to use his height to his advantage. Well, you're talking about a kid that's a great overall athlete, you know, multi-sport guy. So, you know, like you mentioned, I think when you do that, you do learn how to use your body control when you're playing other sports, and you're doing a variety of things to, to keep yourself uh, sharp. So, I think that's a big thing, and that's going to be a great matchup. You know, his size and physicality against a, a McKinley secondary that's, you know, got some heavy hitters, some good athletes, guys that are either already committed to Division One colleges or are being recruited by Division One colleges, talking about, you know, Brian Pinckney, Jonah Lytle, and, and Harold Fannin. So that that's going to be an interesting matchup. Not just Henny, but the other Vikings receivers, because I know they got some other guys that have, have come on. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a great matchup right there to see how that goes. And then you also have McKinley's Manny Powell, who moved from the defensive line to linebacker, kind of anchoring that Viking or that Bulldog defense, which, you know, was just dominant against Jackson. So they're going to get tested a lot here by Ashby, Henny, and, and the rest of the Vikings. And, you know, when you talk about Ashby, I think the thing that has been most impressive about him through the two now third year as a starter is that he just doesn't. He protects the ball. He doesn't give it away. You just don't see that from many high school quarterbacks. Uh, you're talking about a full-time starter who's throwing the ball 20, 25, you know, maybe even 30 times a game sometimes. Seven career. And uh, you saw firsthand, Cliff, you know, how he protects the ball and how he makes good decisions. That was one thing that struck me is just the incredible touch on his passes. It's always in a place where only the receiver can get to it, and he seems to exactly know when to tuck it and run, and he has the athleticism to really pick up yards. If you don't spy or put someone on him, he can really hurt you with his legs as well. He's just a really dangerous player to try to guard. Mentioned the, the seven career interceptions. Three of them have come in his two previous games against McKinley, including two by Jonah Lytle last year. Uh, you flip it to the other side of the ball, and, and if you know Ashby's one A of federal league quarterbacks, then one B or one A himself is Elijah Wesley, who uh, this is his second full year as a starter. He really came on last year, helped McKinley win a first round playoff game, and then. You know, you expect that improvement. A guy's second year, a senior, he's you know, committed to Toledo. But, I mean, he just took off in the opener with, I think it was like 369 yards of total offense. He made uh, several long runs. He threw several long passes. Um, I, I think uh, the one comment I saw, Josh, Josh Wright, is that, you know, he's basically a threat to score from anywhere on the field with his arms or legs. It's certainly going to be a big test for the Hoover defense. You just don't come across an athlete like that very often yeah that hoover defense really uh, strengthened this year by the healthy return of ryan prusinowski who i think their season kind of headed south a little bit last year when it co- 
coincided with his injury back to full strength. I, I know he was really active last week. Uh, I know double-figure tackle total, and he's going to be that guy that will lead the defense against Wesley. And You know, Wesley, in addition to being able to make plays as a runner, has great targets to, to go after with Xavier Black, Latrell Snow, Brandon Foster. All three had, uh, you know, big, big-plus plays last week, 40-yard, 50-yard type catches. So uh, a lot of big-play talent that the Vikings are going to have to deal with. Just a lot of intrigue around that one, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of eyes glued to that game on the scoreboard throughout the night. Also, Chris. That's for sure, Cliff. Yeah, and another big game we have this week in the Federal League, we have Lake at Jackson. And some unfortunate injury news for Lake coming out of week one is probably the big story there. Yeah, Drake Owens went down you know, fairly early in that game with Perry, and, and you know they, they did battle for a half. I think it was you know maybe a seven-three game or something like that at the half, and then you know Perry just kind of pulled away. Lake couldn't get anything going, lost the game, twenty-one to three. You know, uh, I'm sure Lake is hoping to have Owens back. You know, last year he, he missed some games late in the year, and they struggled without him. When he plays, you're talking about a guy that's capable of anywhere from. 150 to, to probably close to 300 yards rushing, depending on how many plays he breaks. He, he's a real, real home run hitter at running back, and uh, you know can be a real difference maker if he's healthy. But I think the, probably the thing that disappointed Coach DeGeorge was, even with his injury, they have a lot of seniors. They have a, a good offensive line that's experienced. They have experienced quarterback, and they have experience elsewhere. You know, defense is some veteran so I, I think there's probably an expectation that you know all right it's, it's going to be tougher if you don't have a guy like Owens on the field but we should still be able to compete with anyone that we're playing exactly I was kind of surprised that final score ended up the way it did and then you have Jackson also coming off of a tough loss last week in this game yeah it, they uh just uh, you know struggled to contain the big plays from McKinley especially as the game wore on and then didn't get enough going offensively. It sounds like, you know, in the second half they did find some options in the running game where, where you know, Jackson graduated Ethan Atkins. It was a tremendous running back for them the last couple of years, especially last season. So, you know, it's going to take time to develop those new type of lead backs and figure out what you can do with different guys. But um, they do have a veteran quarterback and Hunter Geithner who started as a freshman of Aquinas. Family moved to Jackson last year. He, he started for the Polar Bears and you know, it took them a little while to get untracked, I think, last week. But he was going against maybe the best defense in the county or, you know, probably one of the top two or three defenses in the county. So um, this week, uh, we'll see what it brings. It'll be the home opener for Jackson. And I think the one key we'll, we'll probably talk about throughout the season, Cliff, is with, with the shortness of this regular season, you know, some teams having choppy preseasons where they had to shut down at different times or there was some uncertainty here and there. Um, kids are going to have to be resilient and bounce back fast and, and just kind of move forward. And, and then even, you know, you have the weather delays and stuff like that that threw, you know, another curveball at but pretty much everybody last week. So I think teams that are resilient and, and they're able to focus and not be distracted are the ones that are going to be successful this year. And I think that's the, the challenge for Jackson and Lake this week. Exactly. And then we mentioned the Perry Panthers. They have a non-conference game against Central Catholic. They're hosting the Crusaders that are coming off a tough loss to New Philadelphia in week one. Yeah, that was a, that was a surprise. I, I, I know 
I, I was maybe the minority among our picks to pick Central Catholic. I can't remember how that broke. But, you know, I figured basically it was a toss-up game, but I did not think that Central would lose the game 40-7 to and, you know, give up a series of big plays. You usually don't see Central Catholic really, you know, get gassed with a lot of long runs or stuff like that. But it sounded like, you know, just that first game, a lot of new starters, some miscommunications, guys not lining up properly, and, you know, New Philly hit them with some, you know, really long touchdown runs. Central had, you know, a series of miscues at one point, uh, botched a snap on a punt where things didn't uh, didn't get handled well, led to a safety. So kind of one of those nightmare performances for, for, for the Crusaders while Perry got its wing tee rolling and, and was able to beat Perry 21 to, or beat Lake 21 to 3. So I think the good news for Central is even though Perry is, you know, a good, strong, really good program, it's a team that you know the Crusaders will be up to play for. You're talking about a five-minute trip uh, you know, down the road, and, and these two programs know each other so well. It's a, it's a great early season rivalry, and actually usually it's a week two or week three game, even in a normal season. So I, I think it's a good thing for the Crusaders to have a team that they will be able to get up for this week and be fired up to play against. Exactly. I think I went down with the ship with you on the USS Crusader in the picks last week. Yeah, we probably weren't alone, but I, I know there were at least one or two new Philly picks, but that, that was just a game that got out of hand in a hurry in the second quarter. Yeah, and of course, the, the wing tee, always tough to defend. It's not something you see all the time now, and when you do run across it, and you run across it with someone who executes it as well as Perry does, that can lead to some oh, trouble. Yeah. Uh, there's probably few teams in the nation at the high school level, uh, probably just not the high school level, because I don't know too many run at other levels, but that, that run it with the precision and the excellence that that Perry has when you have a, a coach in Keith Wakefield who's been doing this, you know, since the eighties pretty much at Perry, you know, minus a few years there where he was not coached, but uh, since his return they have uh, they've been humming on offense with that wing tee. The Panthers also threw a touchdown last week. I think they got above fifty yards passing. They did uh, Venus is a is a veteran at quarterback and he, we always would laugh in the office. Um, you know, you'd always see Keith uh, Wakefield talk about throwing the ball a little more every year. He wanted to get the ball, you know, get the passing game going. And it was kind of a running joke. It's almost like a threat that he might throw the ball. But you know, last week it worked for him. They, they, they had some timely passes. I want to say uh, the quarterback was for Venus was uh, four of six throwing the ball, so that's great efficiency. I don't think you're ever going to see Perry want to throw the ball 15 times. But I do think that uh, they would like to be able to throw the ball at moments of their choosing where they think they can, you know, pick up 15, 20 yards or maybe more, you know, probably anywhere from six to ten times. That's, I think their ideal thing is throwing the ball about that much and trying to complete, you know, 60% of them. Yeah, it'd be a shock if Perry got above ten passes in a game. Yeah, it's it's an odd game if that happens. They either got behind real big early or something something different happened. And then uh, rounding out the Federal League, Chris, we have another really interesting non-conference game, Louisville at Glen Oak. 
Uh, Louisville had a tough opener that was delayed a bunch of times on Thursday night against Dover. They ended up falling in that one, and Glen Oak just had a, a nightmare start against Hoover last week. You had your starting quarterback, Isaiah Knox, at Glen Oak. He breaks his wrist on the third play. Head coach Bo Balderson told me after the game he's done for the season. That's kind of tough to recover from right at the start of a game. Yeah, just a, just a terrible start for the Golden Eagles, who I know we're hoping to turn some things around and start showing some improvement as they you know try to rebuild that program. And Knox, I think, had had a good off season for them, and he played last year. And you know they were they were expecting big things from him, thinking he could take that step forward. And uh, you know to, to lose him right out of the gate, essentially at the start of the season, you know, basically one of the first plays. Um, and doing that, you know, already playing a really good team on the road is just going to be tough for a team to overcome. They've had a week now to uh, to get everybody acclimated with the new situation. Uh, so hopefully that uh, produces better results for them. I think, you know, Louisville was in the game with Dover pretty much the whole way and, and had some chances to, to, to get the game into its favor and wasn't quite able to do that after falling down uh, early. Uh, I think uh, Troy Davis was probably happy overall with the effort his team showed and, you know, their ability to handle some adversity and handle some of the oddness of, of that opener on Thursday night. So, I, I, you know, I'd expect Louisville definitely to come ready to play. And the, the one thing that struck me was, was reading uh, in Joshua's preview for this game, Louisville and Glen Oak have not played since 1989, which just was really hard to fathom. The schools are not that far apart. Were federal league rivals uh, through the '80s. That's what you know. That's the last time they played was when Louisville was still in the federal league. But uh, this is a these are two teams that have not seen each other for a long time. That's certainly an interesting fact. You would not have thought it would have been that long. And you did bring up the the leopards there. One of the things to remember with them in this COVID world, they are installing a new offense and a new defense under Troy Davis. Didn't get a whole lot of time to test that out against live competition before the season started. I remember uh, talking to Coach Davis over the course of the summer, and he said, you know, when you're opening a restaurant, you'd like to kind of test the meal out with a soft opening before you you go out and open the doors. And he was, uh, you know, worried they were going to have to open the doors and start serving meals right away, and that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah, there's there's no soft openings in 2020 as we've seen. So they got thrown into it right away on the road against a good opponent. It'll be interesting to see how Dover does this season to to you know see how that really shows the type of level of competition Louisville opened up with. Louisville will be facing challenges pretty much the whole way here. They you know as an independent had to struggle to put that schedule together. The thing I wanted to ask you about, Cliff, was uh, what's, what's your opening impressions on the EBC? Now, obviously, because of the short season, you know, we mentioned the rivalry games right away. That was a league that opened up with its you know biggest rivals, the Week 10 being played in Week 1, and the Alliance-Marlington one uh, was, was pretty classic. <laughs> Despite the weather and playing over two days, a series of big plays when they resumed Saturday morning, and and I think both teams learned a lot about the, themselves, and it looked like Marlington uh, really showed some things. Yeah, the Dukes have a lot of experience back on the offensive and defensive lines. They have a massive left tackle in Isaiah Harrison. He's about six foot four, 
plus 300 pounds that's a that's a nice big body to run behind if you're nolan hooker and the the duke certainly took advantage of that uh i still thought the aviators with were the favorites coming into that they only lost two starters and they had some opportunities but it sounds like you know some some of the things with the rain and some ill-timed penalties and things like that really hurt the aviators but it was an exciting game and and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out the rest of the way the the aviators definitely showed the that uh, you know, having the two talented quarterbacks, and it seemed like Hartsoe really got the the run mostly quarterback with Alexander playing mostly receiver. But you know, those two look up on that ninety nine yard score that late in the game looked like it might hold up to be the game winner. Um, you know, that just shows you right there what Alexander's capable of doing. Uh, I think that was not that deep of a call, but he just was able to separate. I know he had a touchdown run earlier in the game. He had interception. Uh, Hartsoe also is an outstanding defender, so. Those are guys that are going to impact the game a lot of different ways. What, uh, who are the other aviators, though, maybe that, that need to really separate themselves from the pack to, to help them uh, you know, step forward and win some games this year, Cliff? Well, one name that really stood out when I talked to Coach uh, Seth Whiting this week was running back Caden Davis. He's only a sophomore. He had no varsity experience. He goes into the Marlington game and uh, he averaged 10 yards a carry. Coach Whiting said he probably should have gave him the ball a few more times, and you may see a lot more of him uh, coming up in the coming weeks for the Aviators. So that's certainly one name to keep an eye on. Uh, the rest of it is just – I know I know the, the COVID stuff ha- has been interesting as far as, you know, alliances – having split classes someday the kids are in school some days they're not it's been kind of an interesting uh preparation period from what i gather from the aviators as far as trying to hold everyone you know get some type of rhythm going and some type of normalcy it's kind of been a little bit tough early on for the aviators to to put that together right now Elsewhere in the EBC, uh, you know, Alliance is the one team that has the non-league game since it's a seven-team league. They'll be at Bedford, but uh, you know, Marlington's hosting Carrollton. Carrollton's coming off uh, its week uh, one win at home against Minerva, where they were dominant on defense and ran the ball well. Can South had the surprise win at Aquinas last week. It hosts Salem, and uh, you know that that should be a, a really game for the Wildcats as they look to build some momentum and then West Branch is at Minerva. What, uh, what are you looking at those other matchups, Cliff? Keep an eye on Canton South. I know Greg Reed, the head coach there, has always done a tremendous job. I, I don't know if there are too many coaches that get more out of their players than he does and just talking to him before the season I felt like he felt that they stayed healthy which has been an issue the the past couple years they could they could take a step forward so uh, that game against Salem Salem coming off a a loss against West Branch that's one to keep an eye on Uh, Canton South could kind of really keep themselves in that EBC race if they if they are able to pick up the win in that one and then Carrollton, they are probably the only team in the area that has not allowed a single passing yard this season. They held Minerva to 66 rushing yards last weekend. That was it. So, and 
just looking back through some of the research I had done, last year Marlington beat Carrollton by two touchdowns, but the previous two years, those were one-point games. One was 7-6, one was 20-19. So for whatever reason, the Warriors have given the Duke some trouble in the past, so that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Now, I do really think Marlington has, has started to develop uh, some of the skill position players. Connor Evanich at quarterback, that's another you talk about. I'm surprised at the size of some of the quarterbacks we're seeing. Evanich is another guy that's a six foot three junior and uh, just all the skills you would want except the starting experience, as Mark Gulling told me in the preseason. Uh, they also lost all their receivers, but it seemed like Cooper Scarlett and Rome Sims, also both juniors, started to uh, fill those voids. They each caught a touchdown last week, so that could be a really interesting game. Well, I think the, the thing about Marlington is, you know, even goes back before, you know, Coach Gulling. You go back to maybe even Steve Miller and definitely with Coach Miley. And uh, you know, Coach Balderson, they've kind of built that tradition. You know, they, they, you know, even when it's first-year seniors playing, those kids have been really waiting their turn. They've probably gotten some really great practice reps against good frontline players, so they're just kind of itching for that chance to play at the varsity level and, and you know keep keep things going. Marlington has been a regular contender in its league and usually is heading into Week Ten with a chance to play in the playoffs, and you know has made the playoffs you know, pretty often. So, you know, I think it, it's just a testament to you know, where that program is right now and, and how how well it's been coached over the years. And, and the one thing about Evans, even though he didn't have that starting experience in football, you're talking about getting basketball, who will be a three-year starter coming this winter. And, uh, you know, Marlington plays a pretty good schedule in basketball. And he's, he's been on the floor in some big games with, with some, you know, good teammates. They've got some, some pretty talented players in recent years when he's been with them on the varsity playing. So no stranger to, to playing, you know, varsity athletics at a high level. And you also hit on something with the coaching staff, although there have been some changes not too often at the head level going from Coach Ed Miley to Bo Balderson to now Mark Gulling. Uh, The one thing Coach Gulling told me is the assistants during all that basically have not changed. It's basically been the same crew for the last 20 years, and that's what he said attributed to people being able to plug right in and play right away because they're all playing in the same system and have been with the same voices for all these years all the way up through the varsity level yeah that's big anywhere in high school whether it's you know marlington or some of the federal league programs or or elsewhere when you get that continuity of staff even if there are maybe you know, a change here and there at the head coach level or maybe even among the coordinators. If you still have a lot of those coaches, especially, you know, we never really talk or write about them, but the, you know, the middle school level, the JV level, those are the coaches that do a lot of the building and, and you know, get the fundamentals instilled in their kids. And, you know, if you've got guys that are, you know, probably good enough to, to coach at a higher level but, but choose, you know, because they like coaching at the middle school level for, for you know, a variety of reasons, um, you know, you got experienced coaches there. It's it's a big lift. Exactly, and that that about does it for our look at, at the EBC, Chris. Uh, we're looking at some other really exciting games in the area this weekend. Is there anything in particular catching your eye? Well, 
One is, is first off, just because I don't think there's going to be a lot known about the opponent Maslin's game this week. The Tigers are, are coming off that emotional loss for St. Edward, you know, kind of made an improbable comeback and, and beat the Tigers late and was, was probably one of the best games in the state of Ohio last week. Uh, with with Ed's winning that game twenty four to twenty three at Maslin, week two the Tigers get pretty much a virtual unknown in Columbus Bishop Sycamore. Um, when you hear Bishop Sycamore, you're thinking Catholic school. It's not. It's a, it's a charter school. It's not a part of the OHSAA. And in fact, it's more along the lines of uh, I guess a prep school like a Western Reserve Academy in Hudson, or maybe even some of those academies where you see kids go to in Florida and elsewhere in the South. So you'll, you'll have fifth-year high school seniors on the field for Bishop Sycamore who are, you know, hoping to basically bolster their chances of getting a, a better Division One uh, opportunity. And, uh, and looking over Chris Easterling of the Independent, who obviously covers Maslin very well, uh, you know, Sycamore is going to have a lot of Division One type college athletes out there, guys getting interest or already having committed to some – you know, some fairly prominent schools that have transferred in from the, you know, sort of Columbus schools. They have a Cincinnati LaSalle transfer, who's a, a big-time type player. Um, but this is the first game for them this season. They were supposed to play St. Vincent-St. Mary, which would have been a great game last week, but not sure what happened there. You know, I saw the reporting in the, in the Beacon Journal that they couldn't come to terms on a uh, on a contract, so the game wasn't played. Uh, St. V ended up, you know, picking up somebody at the last minute, and Bishop Sycamore did not play. So this will be Sycamore's first game, and obviously Coach Nate Moore is going to have no film on these guys. And uh, I think that could make for a really interesting night, especially that first quarter as Maslin's kind of trying to feel out uh, exactly what they're going against. And one I'm keeping an eye on over in the Pac-7 Northwest hosting CVCA. Uh, Northwest had a huge week one. They really took it to Orville, who has been one of the power teams in that conference the last couple years. And they, they actually, I think it was 42 to seven. I think I went down on the USS Orville and the picks on that one. But, uh, I think that a lot of people did there, Cliff. Yeah. Jordan Mick, though, just had a huge game and, uh, I I'm, I want to see what he does next. That's that's why I'm keeping an eye on that one. Yeah, I think uh, that was a real eye opener to people. I, Northwest upsetting Orville wasn't that much of a surprise. I mean, Northwest always has players. Um, you know, going back the last twenty years, they're they're usually competitive. Um, and just the oddity of this season, you know, that if the team comes in focus, I can you can knock some people off, but. To win that game, forty-two to seven, and you know have to drive out to Orville twice because uh, of the game, you know, getting split over two days because of the weather, and then the, you know they, they they're up seven zero at the basically the end of the first quarter when they get stopped, they come back and you know, Markel Parks the all everything tailback for Orville, you know, even the game up with a touchdown, and then Northwest just just took them to the woodshed at that point, scored the next thirty-five points to. To win it, as you said, forty-two to seven, and Mick, I think, uh, gets overlooked a little bit. All the talk of the federal quarterbacks and some of the, you know, some of the quarterbacks in ABC, but you know, Jordan makes a guy who was, you know, before he transferred to Northwest when he was at Hoban, started at quarterback for their state championship team uh, when when uh, when Hoban starter uh, Shane Ham was hurt. You know, played pretty well, if I recall. Um, so he's now in his second year at Northwest, and he might have had the best line of the week last week, 17 of 24, 392 for his yardage with five touchdowns. Uh, 
Nick Dinkins and Anthony Grossnickel each had 100 plus yards receiving and, and each scored two touchdowns. So I think Northwest uh, showed that, that they could really make a lot of noise this year. And CVCA is a playoff team last year that got knocked off by Fairless. And that, that was one of the other Pac 17s I was going to mention, Cliff. Is Fairless, you know, dealt with three weather delays in a game that went past midnight Friday because they decided, you know, with CVCA being an hour away, they didn't want to send them home and bring them back the next morning. So they just waited that out, and I think that just showed maybe the the character and, and the mental toughness of Fairless to deal with, you know, the oddities and adversities of this season, and, and come out with a really big performance to to get a statement win against a playoff team. And I think Fairless is one of those teams that has quite a few seniors, and and they're good at the skill positions. They have quarterback Ethan Brindley running back Hunter Campbell, and then receiver, return man, the defender, Connor Durant. You know, they, those guys have played a lot of snaps already in their career, and they're each capable of making big plays. Exactly. And when you when you start talking about Fairless, they have uh, Loudonville they're hosting this week, which is going to be another interesting one. Fairless could be another team that, that makes some noise this season, so they'll definitely be looking to keep that momentum going. We'll, uh, we'll save the, maybe the best for last, because I know for IVC fans, uh, uh, maybe the biggest game in that league is going to be uh, Sandy Valley at Indian Valley on Friday night. Uh, Indian Valley playing its second game at its new new uh, home field there, new stadium that they built. So um, you know the Braves have had a lot of success lately, and you know the community's really gotten behind that program. But then Sandy Valley's come on strong the last few years, and this is a this is a huge game for the Cardinals who have not had great success against Indian Valley. But uh, senior year for Cameron Blair, what do you what do you think about the Cardinals this year, Cliff? Well, they certainly have a lot of offensive firepower. They put up 50-plus points last uh, last week, and they are going to Indian Valley. But if you think that there's a year that they might have a chance to uh, knock off the Braves, this might be it. This might be the best shot, and I'll be really interested to see what happens. Uh, last year, Sandy Valley really came on strong, and they took you know an eventual state champion uh, down to the wire in the playoffs. And they've they've kind of I don't know if something really clicked for them there. It'll be interesting to see against Indian Valley if they can put something together. Yeah, it, that that should be one of the better games of the night. And you know, I think just kind of summing it up, Cliff. This this is a, a good week too, and. And hopefully uh, Mother Nature cooperates and there's no storms this week because I, I think uh, a lot of these kids have put in a lot of hours and they probably would like to, to play on a nice, clean field and, and get a chance to really showcase what uh, what they can do. So hopefully uh, the, the rainy weather we've seen here a little bit in the early part of the week uh, drifts away and we get a, a good night for football here in week two. It was a monsoon last week out in North Canton. I couldn't see to the other side of the field at one point, and yet a couple lightning delays. It's no fun for anybody. It's no fun for the athletes. No, and it's no. certainly no fun for us trying to get those in with uh, the stuff we'd like to get in before print deadlines come up. Yeah, so I think a good night of weather will enhance what is a, is a pretty good att- a good schedule for week two. All right, that's going to do it for this FridayNightOhio.com podcast. You can be sure to stay tuned right here for more information. Uh, We'll have more podcasts as they become available, Chris. 
We look forward to talking to you throughout the season, Cliff, and we'll get some of the other guys on the staff involved. Absolutely. Uh, they'll be drawing straws, and then uh, we're going to bring in the guy that draws the short one with me. So that's how it works. That's how it works. We used to have Joe Scalzo, who I could just grab at any point and drag him in here, and he would just go with it. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the case this season. Yeah, Joe, Joe is definitely missed. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's going to do it. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Chris, and we will see you next time.